Name a hip-hop label that has helped put out greater talent than Rockefeller Records. Alright, Def Jam. Name another one. Exactly. It's The Rock. It's on, yeah, D. Alone, I was never on my own, yeah, D. Had hip-hop guiding me alone, yeah, D. Make history, put it in a song, yeah, D. And it's so, yeah, D. It's so, yeah, D. Alone, I was never on my own, yeah, D. Had hip-hop guiding me alone, yeah, D. Make history, put it in a song, yeah, D. And it's so, yeah, D. It's so, yeah, D. You dick. What up, world? It's your man, Art, back with another episode of Your Dig. And in this episode, we're breaking down part two of Rockefeller slash Jay-Z's hip-hop legacy. Then we're going to get into a very, very special top ten, breaking down Jay-Z's top ten songs of his career. You know that's going to be legendary. Then we're going to end all of this, which you got to hear this like we always do. Actually going to give y'all an interview this week, so you know that's going to be special. But yeah, man, back with another episode of Your Dig. Y'all going to learn something today. Your Dig. Rockefeller slash Jay-Z's hip-hop legacy, we focused on the music that was produced. In part two, we're actually going to dive into how it all started and get into all the business that went down. So if you know this story, you know that these brothers showed us exactly how business need to be done in any industry, but specifically the music industry. So as we already know, Rockefeller was founded by Jay-Z, Dame Dash, and Biggs Burke. Each of these principals is from New York City with a background in street activity. As discussed in part one, Jay-Z began his rap career with Jazzo in the mid-80s. When you think about the fact that he's been consistently rapping for this long, it's truly amazing. So mid-80s, early 90s, Jay-Z is a semi-pro rapper, but he's still thugging it. But what about the other guys? Damon Biggs were partners in party promoting as members of the crew best out as teenagers. Dame left Harlem to begin his career in the music industry, managing the group's future sound and original flavor. Dame actually got these groups signed to well-connected DJ Clark Kent and Atlantic Records. Clark Kent introduced Dame to Jay-Z, believing that they were similar smart street cats with major music industry potential. Dame and Jay became close friends, and soon after, business partners attempted to secure a record deal for Jay-Z. Many labels passed on Jay-Z in the mid-90s, forcing them to seek financing from other means. Dame reached out to the entire Best Out crew to offer them a chance in the music industry, Biggs and Biggs' brother were the only ones to seek the opportunity. Biggs loaned Damon J $16,000 to produce the music video for Jay's first single, In My Lifetime. Believing in Damon J's talent, Biggs offered to finance a whole record label to launch Jay-Z. Damon Jay-Z agreed, forming the partnership known as Rockefeller Records. But still, who are Damon Biggs? Biggs grew up a poor kid in Harlem, New York. He has said that his family was homeless at times in his youth. He also stated that he made a conscious decision to make his own money at 12 years old. Around age 13, already exposed to Harlem's 80s drug culture through family addiction, Biggs began selling drugs with the older crowd. He got his name Biggs because he was always around people older than him, and they said he acted older or bigger than he was at the time. Biggs met Dame at age 14 through Biggs' older brother. Biggs' initial contribution to Rockefeller was essential but pretty much straightforward. After Rockefeller was founded, he helped fund Jay-Z's first tour of clubs and bars up and down the East Coast. Biggs was known to buy out the bar, painting a picture of opulence provided by Rockefeller wherever they went. Dame Dash was born and raised in NYC, primarily in Harlem. 
He has said that his mother made sure that he wore the best clothes coming up as a kid until she died when he was 15. He also credits his mother for teaching him how to hustle. Dane was expelled from multiple schools as a teenager, but he was making pretty good money on the streets and promoting parties. It has been said that Dane paid his own way through private school, but I haven't confirmed that. Dane did state that Cass and Harlem used to try him because he went to private school and he spoke a certain way. But Dame also said that he boxed, so his hands did a lot of the talking. I believe Dame's initial role remained pretty much the same throughout his time at Rockefeller. Dame did his best to make sure the artists associated with him were insulated from industry politics and in good position to get paid. Rockefeller's first album is, of course, Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt. This album is known as a classic, but when it first dropped, it was not necessarily received that way. The album was fairly successful around its release, primarily due to the single Ain't No being placed on the Nutty Professor soundtrack. This was Jay-Z's first major look as a solo artist, and actually my introduction to Jay-Z is legit. Reasonable Doubt was distributed through Priority Records. Jay's debut barely made any money for the company, but it did solidify him as an artist and enable Rockefeller to do a 50-50 distribution deal with hip-hop powerhouse Def Jam Recordings. This deal gave Def Jam half the company and netted Rockefeller's owners $1.5 million up front. The first album with Def Jam, In My Lifetime Volume 1, initially performed better than Reasonable Doubt, largely because Jay was established in the public's eye and he had the song I Love The Dough with Big on the Life After Death album. So Reasonable Doubt 96, In My Lifetime Volume 1 97, then in 98, Rockefeller went to the top of music when Volume 1 Hard Not Life went multi-platinum. In 1999, they saw the release of two platinum albums, DJ Clues, The Professional, and Volume 3, The Life and Times of S. Carter. But the biggest thing for Rockefeller that year was the launch of the clothing company, Rockaway. Rockaway quickly became one of the biggest names in designer urban wear. As I stated before, Dame operated in the corporate realm of music, making sure that his company and artists were treated fairly in a music industry known for oppression. So he would be considered the executive of the three. Biggs has stated that he was more hands-on with the artist, alongside the legendary ears of Biggs' brother, Hip-Hop Joshua and G. Roberson. He led artist development and album construction, as well as many of the marketing efforts. Cash didn't even really know Biggs existed at The Rock. I thought it was Damon J when I was young, but Biggs was always in the videos. Low-key as you can get, though. As we begin to navigate new additions to the label and other ventures that Rockefeller went into, let's take a quick note of Rockefeller's success. Biggs is quoted saying, within the company selling five to six million records a year for four to five years straight, we had some good money on our hands. I take it he's talking about 98, 99 through 2003, but that's not all the money. Rockefeller Films released the company's first film, Streets is Watching, in 1998. This joint is essentially a compilation of unreleased Jay-Z music videos with skits in between to create a storyline. In 2000, Rockefeller released Backstage, which chronicled the legendary Hard Not Life tour that featured Jay-Z, DMX, Method Man and Red Man, Ja Rule, and the artist signed to Rockefeller by 98.99. That's Memphis Bleak, Beanie Siegel, DJ Clue, and Emil. But in 2002, that's when Rockefeller Films set the bar for hip-hop label-produced films. In January, they released State Property starring the lyrical assassin and Broad Street bully Beanie Siegel, then in June, they released Paper Soldiers, starring Beanie Siegel and Kevin Hart in his film debut. The film was directed, produced, and written by Dame Dash. Let me add that Charlie Murphy wrote on that too. Then in October, they capped it off with Paid in Full, starring Makai Pfeiffer, Wood Harris, and Rockefeller star Cameron. This film is excellent in my opinion, and definitely puts another notch to Rockefeller's legendary status. 
So Rockefeller Films and Rockefeller Records are booming. Jay-Z dropped The Blueprint in September 2001. That's the fall before these movies drop. Rockefeller released the State Property soundtrack, which introduced Benny Siegel's Philly-based crew, State Property. State Property also became a clothing brand on the Rockaway that was popular on its own. In 2002, Cameron released his label debut, Come Home With Me, featuring the tracks Old Boy, Hey Ma, amongst other dope songs. State Property member Freeway's debut, Philadelphia Freeway, was released in 2003, followed by Cameron's crew, The Diplomats album, Diplomatic Community, that same year. This Diplomatic Immunity album is considered a classic in some hip-hop communities. To name a few tracks off this album, you got Dipset Anthem, I Really Mean It, Purple Haze, My Love, and Bout It Bout It Part 2. So Rockefeller, as we know it from its inception, made some huge changes around 2003-2004. This is when they sold the rest of their equity to Def Jam for $30 million. That's $10 million each person. And upon this sale of Rockefeller to Def Jam, Jay-Z actually became the president of Def Jam, essentially seizing control of both companies. The trio of Biggs, Dame, and Jay continued to operate the clothing company until the partnership dissolved in 2005, when Dame sold his stake in Rockaway for $22.5 million in cash and the controls of state property, Team Rock, and other auxiliary brands in the group. Dash maintains that the group broke up due to philosophical issues. Rockefeller basically maintained this place amongst the top labels in hip-hop on the shoulders of Jay-Z and the ultra-talented Kanye West. Many don't know this, but Jay and Dave did not initially believe in Kanye as a rapper, but Biggs did. Biggs helped cultivate the environment for Kanye to make the college dropout the classic it became. So Rockefeller releases more Kanye albums. All of Ye's albums through Yeezus in 2013 were on Rockefeller. The last album released on Rockefeller was Jay-Z's Magna Carta Holy Grail album, released July 4, 2013. While Rockefeller may not have ended on the best terms, it should be noted that all of the owners agreed that the intentions were to sell the company when the time was right. So the business dissolution was not unexpected, though the way it went down may have surprised some. I think it's important to discuss more of Jay-Z's businesses and overall entrepreneurial dominance. I mean, Jay-Z's list of accomplishments and ventures is vast but I'm going to try to hit the highlights. So around 2004-2005, Rockefeller sold to Def Jam, and Jay-Z subsequently became president for three years. Before that, in 2003, Jay did a signature sneaker deal with Reebok. That deal was set to be for four years. In 2004, he purchased a percentage of the New Jersey Nets and helped move them to Brooklyn, forming the Brooklyn Nets. Jay-Z owns a chain of sports bars slash lounges called 4040 Club, which he began in 2003. In 2008, after leaving Def Jam, Jay-Z signed a $150 million deal with Live Nation and also founded a full-service entertainment firm, Rock Nation. He actually signed another deal with Live Nation in 2017 for an estimated $200 million. Both of these deals with Live Nation are essentially touring partnerships. After selling Rockaware to Iconic's brand group in 2007 for $204 million, Jay-Z purchased back some of Rockaware's intellectual property from Iconics in 2019 for $15 million. He published his memoir entitled Decoded in 2010. In 2013, Jay-Z launched Rock Nation Sports. This sports management group represents star athletes in baseball, basketball, football, and soccer. Some notable athletes currently represented by Rock Nation Sports include Kyrie Irving, LaMelo Ball, Saquon Barkley, and Juju Smith-Schuster. In 2014, Jay-Z invested $200 million in Ace of Spades Champagne. 
Jay-Z sold half of his stake in this champagne to conglomerate LVMH for over $300 million in February 2021. In March 2015, Jay-Z acquired Norwegian media company Espero, aka Tidal, for $56 million. He sold Tidal to Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey and his company Square for $297 million in March 2021. I mean, what would this brother do next? Billionaire status by 50. I mean, numerous business we didn't even name here. Jay-Z is potentially the GOAT when it comes to hip-hop music. And when it comes to hip-hop entrepreneurship, it's hard to say anybody's done it better, you did. So thank you for the model y'all set, Jay-Z and the whole team over at Rockefeller. Y'all are truly appreciated in this hip-hop history. So in today's top 10, we're going to dive into one of the deepest catalogs, if not the deepest catalog in hip-hop history. If you go to our Instagram, at Rhymes Designs, you'll see we actually break down Jay-Z's top 100 songs of all time. But right now, we're going to deep dive into the top 10 joints of Jay-Z's career all time. At number 10, we got Politics As Usual. This is track two on his debut album, and I think this is him introducing himself to the rap game. This makes Jay-Z's top 10 because it's fire, but it also sets the foundation for the strongest career in rap history. At number 9, we got Hard Not Life. This is probably Jay-Z's most iconic song. It's amazing how he made a song for the people and it did so well commercially. This song essentially put Rockefeller and Jay-Z on top where they would remain for about a half a decade. But you could argue that Jay-Z has somehow always remained at the top. At number 8, we got the story of OJ. Probably Jay-Z's best hook in his career, and the content is Super Rebellious. The song is an instructional for investing and an analysis of race relations. Super complex, but smooth and simple execution by JNOID. And number seven, we got No Hook. Another song shoulder by Jay-Z's musicality, but the transparency in how he lays out his childhood to provide the foundation for why he became who he becomes is truly amazing. One of the best executions of storytelling in Jay-Z's career also produced by Puff and his team, by the way. At number six, we got Crown. Incredible production by Wonder Girl. The content in this song is very aggressive, and I love when Jay-Z takes aim at the system. Some may look at Jay's arrogant speech on this song as problematic, but it's some of the most motivating music he has ever made to me. At number five, Heart of the City. This is one of the strongest highlights from potentially Jay's best album, The Blueprint. It's a Kanye beat that feels like it should be a smooth song, but Jay is mad aggressive on this joint. It's Jay's musicality that makes this song one of his best ever. And number four, we're going with You Must Love Me. As one of the most transparent artists in hip-hop history, this is probably his most personal song in his early career. This joint gives me goosebumps more than 20 years later. No lie. And number three, we got Song Cry. The feel of this song is one of the primary reasons why it's ranked this high. But the picture Jay painted and the relatability of this song makes it hands down a classic. Shout to Jess Blaze on the beat. Shout to Jay for laying out this story, man. And number two, we're going Can't Knock the Hustle. I mean, this song is super lyrical. It's the intro to Jay's luxurious career, the first album, Reasonable Doubt. I mean, Mary J, a classic artist on the hook, his delivery was out of this world, man. It's just something we hadn't heard before. Dude really changed the game in 96 with this one, man. And number one, we going Dead Presidents 2. The lyricism on this song is just some of the best in rap history, man. Jay is a straight genius. Then having Nas on the hook, 
People don't acknowledge what Nas Sample did on this song, man. Top-notch composition, another classic artist on the hook. I mean, cuz had the recipe super early. Yeah, man, this brother Jay-Z, a.k.a. Sean Carter, as an artist, top-notch, man. I mean, the transparency that he lays out on the track has been the cornerstone for his longevity. The musicality, I mean, bro has actually said that he attempts to become an instrument on the beat. Most people don't even look at it like that. And then as far as his evolution, man, he's honestly the most evolved artist that we've seen. I know he lived uh, from that era. He's lived the longest. But dude basically made the transition from Marcy to uh, world dominance look seamless, you know what I mean? But... Arguably, I mean, in my top three, I'm going to put him in my top three, unanimously, he's in most people's top five. I mean, just give bro his credit, top-notch NC, potentially the greatest of all time. Big shouts out to the brother Jay-Z. Yep, so that's a wrap on Rockefeller and Jay-Z. Last episode, we broke down the music. This episode, we got into the business. Also got into that top 10, the top 10 songs of Jay-Z's career. Trying to see that top 100. Go over to our Instagram, at Ron's Designs. I'll break it down over there. Yeah, if you got any comments, if you learned something new, if you if we missed something that we didn't know about Rockefeller, leave that in the comments, man. I always respond, always looking for some new information. Also, if you're looking for that merch, that rnd.com, all the rhymes and designs merch over there, man. Make sure y'all supporting your folks. But right now, we're gonna get into you gotta hear this special edition. Gonna give y'all a quick interview clip from something from Dame Dash over at the I Do It for Hip Hop podcast. Shouts out to those guys. But yeah, it's just a quick clip, Dame breaking down how he does what he does, why he does what he does. Shouts out to that brother for laying it all out like he's done for his whole career. Really thank you, Dame Dash. But yeah, man, it's a wrap. Another episode of your did. Let's get into it. Yeah, dig. Yeah, I just knew I didn't want to get money the regular way. Okay. And, you know, the regular way wasn't the kind of money I wanted to make. And what I was being taught in school wasn't teaching me how to get money. It was teaching me how to survive. And right. I wasn't into survival mode. I don't like it too much. You know? Okay. I right. like relax mode. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, right. I had to do I had to go I had to get a diff I had to go a different path. Mm -hmm. And the path Absolutely. I initially went was dangerous and it wasn't sustainable. Okay. And um, you know, I figured that out fairly early. And then I figured out the music business and then it was like shit, I feel like I'm still hustling. So then I had to get out of that business. And right. again, to get to where I got to go is kind of just keep finding different paths. But the thing I want them to learn from it is mm -hmm. don't be scared of them. Right. If you better, what are you scared of? Right. That's the thing that bothers me is like all these strong people have the weak people in their brain thinking mm -hmm. that they're more powerful than them. And I'm like, yo, if we stick together, they can't eat. Right. Because they're eating off us. Right. We still they always figure out how to divide and conquer with the short term paper, make motherfucker jump out the window for, for short bread at a low floor. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's it's just human nature and programming. And that's why mm -hmm. my television network is about deprogramming. You know, different patterns, different right. narratives, you know. Like it's mm -hmm. so much better to understand what wealth is. Wealth is being healthy. And wealth okay. is being free. And wealth is being happy. And wealth is laughing. Right. And wealth is loving. Right. Money is not, that's not in that, that first. That's not in money. that. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. But people think money first and sacrifice all of that for it. And that's an elbow. You dick.